So, here we are. God speaks to Moshe and Aharon saying, and he says, when Paro will speak to you and he'll say, who are you guys? What kind of outfit you're running over here? And he's going to say, actually, those, those he didn't say that. He said, He's going to say, give me some kind of a sign that you are for real. Moshe shall tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it in front of Paro and it will become a serpent. So Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. That's exactly what they do. As God commanded them, Aaron throws his staff. Matehu es Mateo. In front of Paro and in front of his servants, and what do you know? It became a serpent. Paro calls his chachamim, his wise men, his machashvim, his magicians, and they also, the chartume mitzrayim, the necromancers of Egypt, they do the same thing with their magic, with their incantations. Lahatehem, Rashi says there's no such word. Other than here, it doesn't appear anywhere else besides here. It means incantations. What do they do? They also throw down their staffs. And they also become snakes. But Aaron has the last laugh because his staff swallows their staffs. And as Rashi points out, it was after Aaron's staff had become a snake and then returned to being a staff that it swallowed the other Staffs, and that's um, that you see that in the in the verse because it says Vayivla Mate Aharon, the staff of Aharon, not the snake of Aharon, but the staff of Aharon swallowed their staffs. So uh, first of all, that's a bigger miracle. It's a bigger, bigger miracle that a that a uh, staff is doing swallowing. You think you know snakes can do that, but not staffs. So when it turned back to a staff, it's a bigger miracle. And also we have the lesson of the Rebbe. And he derived from it <clears throat> that if you do have to engage in some aggressive behavior, like destroying the snakes and staffs of Egypt, the enemy, do so not as a snake, not with the venom of a snake, but rather with the coolness of a staff. It's something you have to do, but don't become a snake yourself in the process. Verse 13, but Haro's heart was hardened, remained steadfast, remained chazak. He didn't listen to them. Well, Paro was not easily impressed. This is exactly what Hashem had said was going to happen. God says to Moshe, Paro's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people out. Go to Paro in the morning. He's going to go out to the water. And you shall stand opposite him on the bank of the Nile and the staff that had turned into a snake you shall take with your hand. Says Rashi, what's going on over here? Why is Paro going out to the water in the morning? So Rashi lets us in on an embarrassing secret. Embarrassing for Pharaoh. What, what was the story? Paro, why would he go there early in the morning? Because he would relieve himself there. Why did he have to do that over there in the early morning? The answer is that he claimed that he was a god. A deity. He deified himself. And he says, I don't have to relieve myself because I'm a god. But he wasn't. 
So he had to get up early in the morning, go to the Nile to do his needs. Vomarte love, you shall say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Send out my nation and let them serve me in the desert. And behold, you have not listened until now. Rashi gives two interpretations for this phrase, Ad Ko, until now. The first, as we explained it, until now. But the Medrash says, You did not listen, but you will listen. You will not listen, Ad Koi, until I tell you about the tenth plague, which will begin with the words Koi. Ko. Verse 17, So says the Lord with this, Shall you know that I am the Lord? Behold, I'm going to smite with the staff that is in my hand, the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn into blood. Why was this the first plague? Says Rashi, because as we know, rain does not descend in Egypt. And how did they irrigate the land? Through the Nile. And therefore, the Egyptians, they serve the Nile as a god. They deify it. And therefore, the first plague is to smite their god and afterwards to smite the Egyptians themselves. Verse 18, And all of the fish that are in the Nile are going to die. And the Nile will become putrid. Vinilu Mitzrayim, Egypt will become tired, they will become weary. In their efforts to try to drink water from the Nile. What does Rashi explain? What does it mean they're going to grow weary? They can't drink it, so what's becoming weary? Says Rashi, they're going to try all kinds of remedies for the waters of the Nile so it'll be fit to drink. But they, would, they wouldn't call Israel to see if Israel can fix it because that would be you know normalization. So they're just going to tire themselves out and they won't be able to fix it. Verse 19, God said to Moshe, tell Aharon to take your staff and, and stretch it out over the waters of Egypt on their rivers and on their canals and on their ponds and any gathering of water. This is written like a, there was an attorney that looked this over to make sure everything was covered. The Yudam, it's all going to be blood. No exceptions. There will be blood throughout Egypt. Even in wood and stone, as Rashi explains, vessels of wood and vessels of stone that had water in them, they too would turn to blood. Rashi asks a simple question. Why is Aharon the one going to take Moshe's staff to do this? Why doesn't Moshe himself do it? Here we have a beautiful lesson. Lefiche, can I, uh, yeah, um, can, can I uh, answer that? Yeah. Sure. You know, um, um, Moshe kind of... Uh, owed the, the Nile a little bit for, uh, you know, floating him while he was a baby. Exactly. Beautiful. So he owed him one. O he owed it one. <laughs> he owed it one. Good, good. As Rashi says, <laughs> The Nile had protected Moshe when he was cast into it, when he was a baby, and therefore the Nile was not smitten by Moshe himself, neither for the plague of blood, nor for the plague of frogs, which comes was coming right up. The instead he was smitten. The Nile was smitten by Aharon. It teaches you an incredible lesson 
of thankfulness. So you have to be grateful. Very interesting. By the way, um, yeah. I, I read somewhere about the Rebbe that um, he hid from the Nazis in a salt factory for a time. And uh, after uh, he came, after he was uh, li liberated, came to America, um, he was very careful not to uh, walk on any sidewalk that was uh, salted down in the wintertime. Wow, I never heard that. Very interesting. Beautiful. Excellent. Okay. Um, Rashi adds that when it says in all the land of Egypt, what is it including? Because it seems to cover everything. So you always have that, you know, extra clause that includes everything. So what is that? What is Bechol Edith Mitzrayim? Says Rashi, even in the bathhouses and in the bathtubs, bathtubs in the houses. Yasu came and so Moshe and Aaron do all of this as God said, God commanded, and he raised the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the front of the eyes of power and the eyes of his servants, and all of the water that was in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish that was in the Nile died, and the Nile became putrid, and the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and there was blood in all of Egypt. <clears throat> not to be outdone, the necromancers of Egypt, they did the same thing with their secret rites. Where did they find water to turn into blood? From the Jews, probably. So this gave Paro the confidence to ignore what Moshe and Aaron had done. He didn't listen to them, just as God has explained, had, had, had said what happened. Says Rashi, what was this hardening of his heart? Power's heart was steadfast because he said, Moshe and Aaron, you're doing magic. Look, my magicians can do the same thing. You're doing magic. I'm not impressed. He says, You're bringing straw to Ephraim, a city that is full of straw. Coal to Newcastle. A city that is filled with uh, with with straw, you're bringing more straw for them. You're bringing magic to Egypt. This is the capital of magic for all the world. We're not impressed. Twenty-three. Paro turns away. He goes home. He paid now attention even to this, as Rashi explains. He ignored the first miracle of the staff. That was done as a private little show for him at his palace. And he ignores also the fact of the river turning to blood. Verse 24, So the Egyptians start digging all around the Nile to try to find some water to drink. Because they could not drink from the waters of the Nile. Seven days later, seven full days passed. As Rashi explains, each of the plagues lasted for a total of seven days. And there were three weeks, uh, three quarters of the month, that Moshe would be warning them and saying, hey, the next plague is coming. So each plague uh, took about a month. What happens after this week? Shem says to Moshe, come to Paro. And you shall say to him, so says the Lord, Shalach es ami viavduni. Send out my nation and let them serve me. If you refuse, 
if you are a refuser, Rashi says that this is actually a uh, an adjective. Even a noun. If you are a refuser, I'm going to smite all of your borders with frogs. And the Nile is going to swarm with frogs and they're going to rise up and enter your houses and into your bedroom and into your bed and in the house of your servants in your nation and in your ovens and in your kneading troughs Rashi points out that the, the God says first it's going to enter your house your house, Paro's house and then the house of your servants so that follows the order of how the oppression began he started, Paro started it and therefore the punishment starts with him Verse 29 of Marcus, Yeah. Um, is it to be uh, taken literally that when it says, uh, you know, into your people, you know, the frogs actually entered the, the people themselves? Yeah, we see that in the next verse. Yeah, it says, <laughs> into you, and in your nation and in all of your servants, the frogs will ascend. Rashi says, inside their stomachs. Their intestines, they would enter, they would start croaking. Interesting that the Hebrew word here, is similar to the English, croaking of a frog. Verse 1, And God said to Moshe, Say to Aharon, Stretch out your hand with your staff upon the rivers, upon the canals, and upon the ponds. Same, all the same expression as with the blood. And bring up the frogs upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron does so. He stretches out his hand upon the waters of Egypt. And the frog, literally, the frog ascends. And it covers all of Egypt. Rashi's pointing out here that when it's speaking about the frogs earlier in the pre- previous verse, it calls them Tzvardeim. A Tzvardea is a frog. Tzvardea. Tzvardeim, frogs, plural. But here in this verse, Vatal Hatzvardea, the frog. Was it only one frog? Says Rashi, yes. Tzvardea achas hoiso. It was just one frog, and the Egyptians were hitting it, which is not nice. But it must have been a pretty big frog. Maybe they were afraid. But each time they hit it, it would split into many swarms of frogs. Zehu midrasho. This is the midrashic interpretation of this expression. The frog arose. Now Rashi is going to give the pshat. The Rebbe asks a question. Rashi's raison d'etre, his self-professed mandate, and M.O., modus operandi, is, is to teach us the pshat, the simple meaning of the verse, not to teach us the medrashas. And usually he'll cite a, 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 a pshat, and then he'll say, and the medrash says X, Y, Z. Even when he cites the medrash, it's because it helps us understand the pshat. Why in this case does he start with the midrash and then go to the pshat? And the Rebbe explains, because of this word svardea, that it means one. Okay, so let's learn the pshat. According to the pshat, this Svardeya means many frogs. And it's the way of Hebrew to use the singular to refer to many. But as the Rebbe explains, 
it's the this the pshat is is difficult because every other time it's referred to in the plural hatsvardim in verse one, um, in the in the um, in the warning about it etc. So the fact that it changes to singular over here hatsvardeya is an indication it's closer the the interpretation of the medrash is actually closer to pshat than pshat in this case. But in any event, the se- the pshat is. Second shot of Rashi is that it was just an expression using a singular, talking about many. Verse 3, not to be outdone. The necromancers did the same thing with their secret rites. And they brought up the frogs on the land of Egypt. So Paro calls Moshe and Aaron and he says, do me a favor. So here's an escalation that he asks them to pray for him. Do me a favor and pray for me. Pray to God. To, to, to God. Suddenly he knows God. The verse he says, I never heard of him. Now he knows. Please remove these frogs from me and from my nation. And I'll send out the people so that may, they may serve sacrifice to the Lord. You got me. So even though the necromancers were able to copy the trick, he still was humbled. Most likely because it was quite uncomfortable to have a frog croaking around in your stomach. Verse 5, So Moshe says to Paro, boast over me. In other words, as Rashi explains, um, you praise yourself by acting cleverly and asking a difficult thing and saying that I'll be unable to do it. He's saying, challenge me. Challenge me. And ask me for something difficult. Namely what? Tell me when I should, tell me that when I pray, when should I be praying that it should stop? For when should I pray for you and for your servants and for your nation to destroy the frogs from you and from your houses and that they should just remain in the Nile? In other words, the story is that, you know, these magicians or people who are fortune tellers or astrologists, you know, they can predict things. And so basically what Moshe's challenging Paro to do is say, you know, if I just, if the frogs stop, right, then you could, you could just argue, well, the frogs came, the frogs left, and maybe Moshe just predicting when they're coming, when they're going. You tell me when you want them to stop. That's a real test of whether Moshe is really connected with the God that's really in control. You decide. Right? It's like when the magician tells you pick the card. <laughs> you pick the card. As Rashi says, yeah. So Paro says, in, in Paro, he likes this challenge, and he, and he, and he challenges him. He says, tomorrow, and you see that he's challenging him because if he just wanted the frogs to go away, he would say, get rid of them today. But he was willing to suffer an extra day because he wanted to hope. He was hoping that Moshe couldn't do it. So he says tomorrow, he says, as your word, so that it shall be known, even though we already had the miracle of the blood, but this miracle is even greater. Because I'm, you're telling me exactly when it's going to stop. I'm telling you exactly when it's going to stop. And it was your choice. You say, there's no, there's, it's not just 
that I'm a greater magician or a better magician. No, there's none like the Lord our God. This is not something that your magicians can do. So we'll pause there and we'll open it up to questions and comments. I got a question. Uh, yeah. With the frogs, uh, I understand it's very <coughs> unpleasant when the frog is inside of your stomach, but uh, they could eat the frogs, uh, they could accept it as good, you know, like like some, you know, people, oriental people, they eat the frogs, and even the French people, they enjoy it, you know. So, you can, you know, it's like seven bucks a pound right now for, for, for <laughs> frog legs, you know, <laughs> some of the stores I've seen. It's a great point, and we do see that when the crickets, not the crickets, the, uh, the grasshoppers came, they, uh, the Egyptians did try to pickle them. So, you know, it's possible that they ate some of them, but I think even with that benefit, it was still more of a nuisance than a benefit. It, as in the expression, too much of a good thing. <laughs> Another question is also reviews. Let me ask another question. Sure. You know, how Aaron you know, put his staff over the, all the waters of Egypt? Is it like, you know, because I can understand over the Nile, but if the waters, you know, like 100 miles away, and yeah. like miraculously probably, Hashem did it miraculously because he can reach it over there. Somewhere. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't think of that. That's, that's a good, I got to look that up. It's a great question. It could be like miraculously he could extend it. Uh... Right. It could be. Can, can I take a stab at that one? Sean, mm -hmm. please do. Gently. Um, you know, the water represents quite a bit. It represents the flowing of life. It represents that we're all from one. And so... Just because he hit that one body of water with the staff, that doesn't mean it doesn't all the connecting bodies and the and you know so it's kind of like touching all mankind with it. That's my even, guess. Even, even disconnected bodies of water that which yeah. was kept in vessels, disconnected as far as we know. Right, I'm and, and all, all the all the water you know that was contained in Egypt anywhere. Yeah. Right. The empirical level. I'm, uh, exactly. I, I, I'm not saying that it has to be touching connected. Yeah. Water is one. You know, there's statements that water that we drank was also drunk by Moshe and Aaron and our forefathers. Of you know, it's the, it's the, you know, I guess it's somewhat Kabbalistic in nature. Um, but to me that that's, seems to be the way but that's my shot at it <laughs> i like it anybody you know, else can i can i say something sure you know um yeah so um as i've been uh learning um on chabad.org with um um uh, rabbi gordon Olaf Sholem, you know uh you know water represents uh pleasure in you know one of the things so uh so it seems like uh, all the pleasure that the Egyptians got from enslaving the Jewish people, that was, uh, that was coming to an end. Aha, uh -huh. very good. Yes, in the first chapter of Tanya, the altar ever mentions that. 
Excellent. All right. Well, with one minute to go, I will uh, take the mic and leave you with a few insights from the Rebbe on this. The first one I read this morning from a talk of the Rebbe in 1965. 1965. And it wasn't talking about this um, particular thing, but it, it comes in where we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, not wanting to... It wouldn't be appropriate for him to smite the Nile. And you're like, wait a second, this is the Nile River. It didn't really do anything for him. It was just sitting there. It, it didn't literally do not do anything. <laughs> His basket was placed into the Nile and the Nile did nothing for him. But the very fact that the Nile was part, it was a factor, was an instrument in his salvation out of, out of, out of gratitude, out of respect, whatever you want to call it, he would not, it was not appropriate for him to smite the Nile. So it's a very interesting concept. And the, it relates to, to what I was reading from this uh, talk of 1965 of this Parsha, where the Rebbe talks about Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, the king, uh, the Babylonian king who was uh, you know, destroyed the first temple. He was not a good guy by any stretch. Um, and yet he's rewarded not getting into too much detail, he did one thing that was good for the Jews, he, he gets a reward. Even though what he did was not for the Jews, he did it for himself. But because it ended up being good for the Jews, he gets a reward. God gives him a reward. And it's, a, it's an interesting concept, but the main point, the Rebbe wanted to take a lesson out of it, that when somebody does something for us, if we benefit from another person, we have to be grateful and we have to be thankful. And we should never think to ourselves, well, did he really do it for me? Was he doing it for himself? <laughs> Even if it seems like he did it for himself, that's not our cheshbon. That's not the calculations that we should be making. And the proof is that Nebuchadnezzar, even though God knew that he did not do it altruistically, God knew that he did it for himself, and still he was deserving a reward. Certainly, when somebody does a favor for us, somebody does a favor for me, I don't know what's in his heart. Even if I suspect that there was something selfish or that's his job or he was expecting some kind of a benefit from it, it doesn't matter. First of all, I don't know it. I don't know that to be true. Second of all, even if it is true, from the Torah we see this idea. In the footnote, the Rebbe said that people can take this to such an extreme. I mean, the other way. They'll say, what do I, why do I need to respect my parents? Why do I need to be thankful to my parents? They brought me into the world for their own selfish reasons. And then they, they took care of me. Okay, that's normal. You got to be cruel not to take care of your children. So the, you can take this idea of, you know, I don't know anybody, anything. You can take that idea to a really terrible extreme. And so to nip it in the bud, be thankful. If somebody does something for you, be thankful. It doesn't matter whether they're just doing their job and really weren't even thinking about you. From the Torah we see, respect and have gratitude. So that was one beautiful idea. A second beautiful idea from the Rebbe on this Parsha is the idea of why is the blood the first thing that is attacked and it turns into to, to water? And the second thing is the frogs going into the ovens and it's it's a reversal. The first thing, blood is, you we're know, talking about water and you know the idea of water. So the difference between water and blood is blood is hot. Blood is passion. Water is coldness. And so the first thing in the war on Egypt, if you take it to the personal, because as we have learned, all this stuff is happening inside of us. We've got our own Egypt. 
We need to ten plague our Egypt. So how do you ten plague your Egypt? The first thing you have to do is take the passion of Egypt that is inside you and pour some cold water on it. If you're excited about things that are not kosher, that are not good, you got to cool that down. That's the first plague. Pouring the water of, co- of coolness. And, and it's really intellect, right? The, the water is connected with the brain. The blood is connected with the heart. So cool it down. Think about it. Like, what are you getting so excited about? Why are you waiting online two blocks down to get the latest, etc.? Or, you know, more examples that are more relevant to us that everyone can think of on their own. What are you getting so excited about? If you think about it for a minute, if you put some water there, then the passion for these things it should be reduced. The second thing is, the, a, a frog is cold. It's a cold creature. And it says that the frogs went into the ovens. Right? So this is a, this is a, um, this means that when we have coldness for things that are, we're supposed to be passionate about, and we feel a little bit cold to it, to helping another person, somebody else's situation, doing a mitzvah, and it could become like rote, so that's coldness. What do you need to do? You need to, you need to warm it up. The coldness, the unholy coldness needs to be warmed up and the unholy heat has to be cooled down. That's the first two plagues that we bring upon Egypt. Well, gentlemen, this has been just incredible. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, 